the buoys now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Firestormfan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is the sordid Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I am excited. I am excited over the news. I'm going to announce this on the show that I, yes, have been cast as Aquaman in the Superman Batman movie coming out 2015. How ironic. I've been cast as Firestorm. <laughs> are you also, Martin Stein or are you Ronnie Raymond? Uh, I'm actually playing the part of both. Uh, I'll put on a bald wig to play Professor Stein. You need a wig and for that? Then- <laughs> and then for Ronnie, you just use my natural luscious hair. Uh, and then, uh, I don't know if you've heard, I've been also cast in the sequel, um, JLA Apocalypse, coming out in 2016 <laughs> from Brian Singer. So, um, it's, exciting. it's an exciting time for all of us. I tell you, whew, can't, I can't wait. So, folks, uh, we've got a little bit of an offbeat show for you this week. Rob and I wanted to... Sometimes we feel a little slavish to our schedule. You know, we've got, you know, who's who. We've got the new issues. We don't get to do stuff that we want to do So uh, as much as we want. So this episode, we are going to talk about the topic we've had on the tip of our minds for a while called Unsung Heroes. Did you just call it tip of our minds? Yeah. That's a phrase, tip of our minds? It is now. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Unsung Heroes. (laughs) There's a few people in the Aquaman and Firestorm creative history that just don't get talked about a lot. Sure, we'll talk about Pat Broderick. Sure, we'll talk about Jerry Conway. Sure, we'll talk about Jim Aparo. We'll talk about Steve Skeets. We'll talk about Jeff Johns. But there's a, there's a lot of people that don't get noticed. So each one, oh, Rob and I have both picked out one person today that we're going to, you know, give a little props to that don't get normally paid attention to. Then we're going to talk about a little bit of the movie news, as you may have just guessed. And then we're going to get back to your, yes, I'm pointing at you, your feedback, you the listener. So with that, Rob, you want, um, why don't we talk about in-stock trades? 
Uh, yeah, related to a topic that we're going to get to uh, later on in the show, I'm going to talk about uh, in stock trades is selling Diana Prince Wonder Woman Volume Four trade paperback. These are the collections of the late '60s Wonder Woman. This particular volume collects Wonder Woman numbers 199 through 204 and Brave and the Bull number 105. That's when she was in her white jumpsuit and she was doing her <laughs> whole she was doing her whole Emma Peel thing, and those are like really, really fun. I mean, you know, poor Wonder Woman was just tossed around, constantly getting sort of rebooted and restarted, but, but these, these adventures are a whole ton of fun. Uh, they feature stories by Dennis O'Neill, Samuel Delaney, the author, Bob Haney and Bob Kaniger, and art by Don Heck, Dick Giordano, and Jim Aparo, yay. Uh, page count is 176, and the price, in-stock trade price is 10.99. normal price $19.99, that's 45% off. Volume 4 features a great cover of Wonder Woman, about to chop Catwoman's head off with a giant samurai sword. So I don't know. If that doesn't sell it for you, I don't know what will. Uh, Diana Prince, Wonder Woman, Volume 4, pick it up. They're, they are really tons, tons of fun, those stories. Awesome. Well, one I picked today is called Batman in the 80s, trade paperback. Now, this is back when I went through my first Batman phase. It's got nine of the best Batman stories from the 1980s, and it's, uh, it's a collection featuring – it's got – Robin, Nightwing, Batgirl, Joker, Penguin, Scarecrow, tons of different folks in there. Uh, and by, by the way, did you hear Penguin? You hear Penguin? Some of our, <laughs> some of our listeners are uh, a little, little interested in Penguin. Anyway, and it also includes an introduction by comic historian John Wells. So if you love Batman and you love that 80s period, this is a great trade for you. Now check out the lan- lineup of writers and artists. Len Wein, Doug Mensch, Mike Barr, Jerry Conway, Marv Wolfman, Alan Brennard, uh-huh. Um, and your artists, I know. And, and I'm sorry to read out a list, but just the, these names are so so impressive. Artists Michael Golden, Alan Davis, Paul Neary, Gene Colan, Klaus Jansen, George Perez, Romeo Tangal, uh, Walter Simonson, Dick Giordano, Trevor, Trevor Von Eden, Roden Rodriguez, Jim Aparo, Mike DiCarlo. Oh, my gosh! <laughs> That's um, a great list. <laughs> really is. I mean, you know, like every time – like I thought I was going to stop reading halfway through the list. And I'm like, no, I'm going to keep going. Um, page count of huh? 192 pages. Normally goes for uh, 19.95. That Magic in Stock Trades discount of 45% off will get it to you at $10.97. So, folks, uh, I didn't say it right at the top, but Fire and Water Podcast is sponsored by In Stock Trades, and we appreciate that. In Stock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. And do me a favor. If you use In Stock Trades, go on up there and uh, to the Contact Us area, click that, and shoot him a quick message just saying, hey, heard about you through the Fire and Water podcast or the Who's Who podcast. We would sincerely appreciate that. There, there's no other way to let them know that their uh, sponsorship of this podcast has been beneficial. A few of you have done this already, and we sincerely appreciate that. But just helping them, helping them know that you know the fandom, the, the, what we call the, the nuclear subs, that's listeners of this show, um, the, listener, the nuclear sub community is helping to you know, build their business. So anyway, uh, thanks so much, folks. All right, next up, Mr. Kelly, we are going to talk about unsung heroes. Yeah. Again, th- th- this topic is folks that have worked on the characters. And, it made a, and I don't mean somebody like a one issue, but somebody who has made a real indelible mark on our characters and, and doesn't get recognized as much. Rob, you are going to say something there. Go ahead. Right, well, yeah, um, th- this was inspired by the fact that uh, there was an artist, an Aquaman, I wanted to talk about. When I started out the shrine, you know, I didn't have much of a knowledge of the Golden Age Aquaman, mostly because those stories are just completely inaccessible. Um, they've never been collected in a book form. They're not available in comicsology. So they're just they're just gone. You know, they're just gone. So uh, pre Ramona, Fr- Ramona Fraden, but post 
uh, Paul Norris, who co-created the character, I had no idea who ever worked on Aquaman because I, I never saw those stories. So uh, once I got a chance to get a hold of them and I started doing the um, Adventure Sundays on the Aquaman Shrine, which is where I'm going in order through the Golden Age Aquaman stories, I started you know, getting a first-hand knowledge of who did these stories. So following Paul Norris was an artist named Louis Casanova. And Louis Casanova's art was very similar to Paul Norris. There's some highs and lows there. It's, he really wasn't really one of my favorites. His stuff, to me, was very kind of sloppy. Um, but it looked kind of very typical 40s-ish. Um, surprisingly enough, actually, Paul Norris, despite the fact that he's the co-creator of Aquaman, only lasted on that strip for like two years. Not even two years. <laughs> yeah, and he really was not on it very long. And then Louis Casanova took, took over. But then The Missing Link between Louis Casanova and Ramona Freyden, and Ramona Freyden is sort of the real kickoff of the classic era of Aquaman, was an artist named John Daly. Now, this was somebody I had never heard of before until I'd seen his artwork. I'm going to give you a little brief biography of the man because that's all I could find. Uh, I found this on a site called um, Lambiac.net. It says, John Daly worked as an advertising artist during the 1920s and worked at American comic books through Funny Zinc in the 1940s. He created features like Masked Rider and the Rio Kid for better publications, Rock Wayburn, great name, for Centaur, and Bullseye Bill for novelty comics. He also contributed to Real Heroes and True Comics. He did several features for DC until the 1950s, including Aquaman, Congo Bill, Crimson Avenger, Johnny Everyman, and Slam Bradley. He remained active in comics during the 1950s, drawing Indian Chief for Dell and Western and War features for Hillman. Sadly, that is literally the only biography I could find on this man. I even contacted Roy Thomas and asked him if he knew anything about John Daly because Roy knows everything. And even Roy, <laughs> even Roy knew nothing. Uh, wow. <laughs> um, John Daly's first story on Aquaman was in Adventure Comics number 121. The story is called Shades of John Paul Jones, written by George Cashton, who wrote 10,000 episodes of cartoon shows. And this was his first Aquaman story as well. Uh and I was struck by Daly's art is, I mean, it's going to be hard kind of to, to convey this, of course, via a podcast. We're going to post some of these images on the um, Tumblr, which is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com, so you can see exactly what we're talking about. But, um, like, Daly's art is the missing link between Louis Casanova and Paul Norris, who were very 40 style, and, and Ramona Freyden's. His, his artwork is remarkably solid. Um, the... He did the pencils and inks, like most artists back then. They, they ink their own work. It's highly detailed, but it, it, there's a, a real clarity in his storytelling. Um, Aquaman is always sort of the central figure in the panel. He's very easy to find. Um, part of the... Uh, oh, boy. I'm already losing <laughs> what I'm trying to say. Um, it's just there is a, there is a solidity to his artwork that really helped convey uh, this character, really put put Aquaman across. Now, one of the things that he is assisted by is the colorist. I have no idea who colored these stories. Those, those credits are completely lost to the ages. But for some reason, whoever did the coloring for John Daly's stories decided to take sort of a Dick Tracy approach to the coloring. And everything in these stories are crazy candy color coded. Uh, Buildings in the background are orange and pink. Some sometimes the skies are red and yellow and green. I mean, like the the, the colors are just insane, and they work work really well with John Daly's artwork. Um, and it got to the point where I was going through these stories, issue by issue, and 
I was like, wow. I was like, I really started looking forward to what this guy could do. You know, I mean, I was, I, and I knew that um, Ramona Fraden was coming because she takes over in the mid fifties. But in some weird way, I was also sort of dreading it because I knew that that was going to be the end of John Daly doing these stories. He was remarkable. He never missed an issue. He was remarkably consistent. I mean, back then, those guys really just did not miss their deadlines. Um, he drew women very beautifully. They had a sort of classic 50, 40s and 50s look. And as uh, most of you guys know, I love my 40s and 50s women. Uh, <laughs> he, drew, he, he drew a story called, there's one he did called uh, The Aqua Girl, where Aquaman meets a girl who appears to be a mermaid. And she is sort of a classic beauty. Now, in that story, there's like a third guy involved, and he's wearing a robe that is made up of orange and yellow stripes. And as like I said, it's these – they they give these stories, um, I don't know, like a, like a sort of crazy sci-fi-ish type feel because the colors, like I said, just don't match anything in, re- in, in nature. Um, so they really make this story, these stories pop. And um, I'm trying to get to one – they're just – Okay, I'm trying to find my favorite one. My favorite one, uh, again, we'll post this on the on the Tumblr, is from a story called The Undersea Lost World, where Aquaman helps a uh, undersea explorer meet all these creatures that live down at the bottom of the sea. And when it came time for us to do uh, on the shrine, Aquaman's the ten greatest Aquaman stories according to us, I picked this one as one of the top ten because I just it is such a beautiful story. It's done so well. The creatures are rendered beautifully by John Daly. They all are very imaginative looking and sort of crazy and sci-fi-ish. Uh, he really, really, I, I, like I said, we never, it's hard to tell whether, um, you know, how anybody at DC knew what the backup features, how well they were selling the book, you know what I mean? Because Superboy was always on the cover of Adventure Comics. And everybody knew that, event, you know, Superboy was obviously the thing that was selling it. Um, so I never knew how they figured out, you know, do we keep Aquaman? Do we keep Johnny Quick? Do we keep Green Arrow? I mean, how did we know? Um, I have to think, though, that John Daly's work helped keep Aquaman going during this time and because it, I think it doesn't look like much anything else out there. Um, his final uh, – John Daly's final work in comics entirely was also was – was an Aquaman story. It's Aquaman Adventure Comics number 164, The Strangest Questions in the World from May 1951. After that, there are no credits in comic books he has at all. So I'm going to assume that after Adventure Comics, he maybe went back into advertising, as a lot of these comic artists did back then, because uh, a lot of guys, unless you were Jack Kirby or Will Eisner, you tended to regard comic book work as something you did to pay the bills until you could get, quote-unquote, better work. So I'm going to assume that Mr. Daly left comics, got back into advertising, and then just basically never looked back. And this was an era before fandom, so nobody ever would have thought to track him down. So, unfortunately, uh, like I said, post these adventure comics issues, there's nothing to say about Mr. Daly. He just disappeared from the ether, which is a darn shame because um, if I could have found a way to talk to maybe his family or something, I would have because I absolutely loved his work. I think it's gorgeous. And, uh, his, like I said, his final one is Adventure 164. Ramona Fraden takes over at number 165. And, uh, you know, starting a whole new era for Aquaman. But, boy, this middle section, John Daly really, really was a tremendous artist on this character. And to me, he deserves to be listed among the great Aquaman artists, even though he's just completely unknown. And it's, uh, you know, like I said, I wanted to just give him a little bit of a shout-out here on the podcast because uh, he is—he was a superb, superb artist. You know, um, it's a little ironic that the person I'm going to talk about, too, I've had – you actually found more history 
history on your person than I found on mine. Oh, wow. <laughs> and mine's more recent. So um, the person I'm going to talk about is Roden Rodriguez. And he is a, a Filipino artist who came over to DC Comics. Uh, you know, I'll give you a little bit of a history here. So a lot of you may not realize there was what was called a, a mini I don't know if the term would be there, a mini invasion called the Filipino, or the, uh, was it the Philippines invasion? I think, I think they what, called it the Filipino called, invasion. I think that's, that's what, what it was. Called it, yeah. Yep. In the late seventies, uh, when Tony, Tony Dizaniga sort of is credited with it. He came over from the Philippines. He, he became a really popular artist and he noticed that DC was cutting back on hiring new artists and they were doing a lot of reprints and they basically said it was, they didn't have enough money. So he told his editor that there was a pool of talented artists waiting to be hired over in the Philippines, who could be commissioned for the same price they pay for reprints. So they flew over to the Philippines in 1978 to scout for Filipino comic artists, and they found quite a few of them. And uh, the requirements were you had to be fast and good. And <laughs> so he also demonstrated, and one of the things that Tony tried to demonstrate was the this really strong work ethic from the Filipino artists as well. So they came, quite a few came over and started working for the comic book companies. Um, there's, there's mixed feelings. On this, because a lot of regular artists feel like they were pushed out because they're cheaper labor, basically. But it also produced a lot of great works. Well, Roden Rodriguez came in and he started off doing two books. And Rob, you probably have read one of these. He he did. He came in in, in by the way, 1980. Specifically, his first published work that we're, that we're aware of was in September 1980. And by the way, when I say I, I have less biographical data, I mean I have nothing. Nothing. A thing on this guy at all. I cannot find it. I searched. The closest I got was I got in touch with um, Rafael Cayanne and asked if he had any idea he had gotten in touch with uh, Roden Rodriguez. And he says, nope. As far as he knew, he returned back to the Philippines, and that's it. Wow. So, I know. So, his first published work was in September 1980, at least cover dated. It was a Justice, um, Justice League issue and a Green Lantern issue. He did JLA number 182. He did a backup story by Paul Kupperberg. That's right. That's right. Uh, the elongated man. Very good. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, called the Sun Queen Snatch. And <laughs> <laughs> Let's just move past that. Right. And for the same month, he he actually – and by the way, I should say Rodin's an inker uh, uh, for the most part. However, one of the things he did the same month was he penciled uh, an issue of Green Lantern, Green Lantern number 132, and he did the backup story about Adam Strange. And that story was called Brain Beast, and that particular one happened to be written by Jack C. Harris. Well, even though Rodin is primarily known as an inker – for a short while, he actually was a penciler. He did 12 issues of Green Lantern as the, and doing these backup Adam Strange stories. So if you're an Adam Strange fan, you've probably read some of his penciled work. So again, that would be Green Lantern 132 on for, onwards for 12 issues. He did that. And then after that, he, again, primarily was doing inking. He did things like um, – well, he did a ton of different books. But as far as sort of lengthier runs, he worked on World's Finest Comics. And there he was inking people like Trevor Von Eden, Alex Saviak, Carmen Infant. I mean, a really wide variety of folks. He did a, a handful of issues here and there of Arak, Orion, um, did some of the, the horror books. He worked on Ghosts, House of Mystery, The Unexpected, Secrets of the Haunted House. He did a couple Jonah Hex. So he, he had a wide variety of books. And again, there were a million books that he just did one or two issues of. But those are the ones he did a little more of. Then you get to Firestorm. He got hired to do some back to, uh, to do some inking work over George Perez, back in one of the Flash backup stories. You know, not a bad place to start, as far as I'm concerned. No. So he inked George Perez in the backup stories. He inked Dennis Cowan on the Firestorm backup stories in Flash. He inked Pat Broderick in the Firestorm backup issues uh, of Flash. He then became the penciler on Fury of Firestorm, 
penciling, I'm sorry, not pencil, I'm sorry, became the inker on Fury of Firestorm, inking Pat Broderick. And then when Pat Broderick left, left he continued to ink Raphael K. Annan. And then he uh, even came back and inked an issue or two of Joe Brozowski. So while we talk about Pat Broderick all the time, we talk about Raphael Cannon, and eventually we'll start talking about Joe Brozowski. This guy doesn't even get mentioned barely except in the credits, and yet he is sort of the glue that kept the Firestorm sort of house style across several artists. Because if you look at Firestorm, I mean, his interpretations don't vary wildly. They're they're very on model throughout Pat Broderick and George Perez and Rafael Cannon and so stuff like that. So I think a lot of that can be marked up to Roden Rodriguez. If you look at um, Pat Broderick's you know incredible details and stuff like that, a lesser inker would have lost that. You know, a lesser inker could not keep up with the likes of George Perez and Pat Broderick. Uh, Rafael Cannon credited Roden Rodriguez as helping him when he first started out because Firestorm was actually Rafael Cannon's first real gig. And so, you know, I think I personally, I think Roden created a nice bridge between the two. Part of the reason that those early issues of Raphael are so strong is Roden brought in, the, you know, the styles that he put on Pat Broderick and carried those through in, in Raphael Cannon's work. Now he continued to work um, for DC. In fact, you know, I didn't think I, I, he did no Marvel work. I didn't notice that until just now. Huh? D- Look at that. DC did. I, uh, DC generally seemed to hire more of the Filipino quote-unquote invasion guys than Marvel did. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, Mar- the, Marvel, what, what did, was, Marvel what was hired the, them, but DC did a little more. What was, you know, was there any general, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, was there any general sense, or you learn about this at Qbert, or anybody talk about it? Oh, the I've Filipino just, invasion? Yeah, no, I've just read it in, like, back issue and, and um, comic book artist over the years, so, yeah, I'm just sort of familiar with that whole period of, and they said there was a lot of criticism of that, because they were paid a lot less, and it was kind of like, you know, pushing the older guys out, who wanted a fair wage for their work, you know? Um, so, I mean, like anything else, the, the good ones stayed and the bad ones left. And I don't mean to say that like, Oh, cause Roden didn't stick around that he wasn't good, but for the most part, you know what I mean? Like one of the, you know, they got in Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. And he certainly stuck around. So, um, just a bit, just a bit you know? So, you know, the, yeah, there was some, some of the stuff in the seventies, there was some real wonky art, but those guys tended to disappear. And then the, you know, the other guys stuck around and still kept working. Well, he stayed around till um, his last published work was in uh, 1987. And again, he was doing a variety of books. I mean, at this point, towards the end, he was working on DC Challenge and Secret Origins and T-Titan Spotlight and Infinity Inc. Again, that smattering of one issue here, one issue there. So uh, his last published was, again, October 1987. And then, from what I understand, he went back to the Philippines. Uh, I would ask if anybody you know, listening is able to find biographical data on him, or if you guys know how to get in touch with him, please send him my way. I would love to get in touch with him and ask him about working on Firestorm. Because, I mean, he did issues... Let me go back one second. Different screen here. To be to give you guys a, a good rundown on Firestorm, he started with issue... Not, Fury of Firestorm, the nuclear man from 1982. He, he started with issue one, inked all the way consistently up through issue 21, then picked up a few issues, 27, 28, 29, and then 50 and 51. So long pedigree with the character. And I, again, I personally think he's responsible. No, I shouldn't give him. No, I mean, let me <laughs> phrase that right. Just to give you an idea of how long he worked on the character. I mean, he starts with issue number one of Fury of Firestorm from 1982 and continued with the book all the way through issue 21 as the anchor. Came back for issues 27, 28, 29, 50, and 51. He's got a long pedigree with the character. I think if you're a fan of the classic Firestorm, 
you may not realize it, but you're a fan of Roden Rodriguez. He, he definitely put his mark on the character. I think he can be given credit for helping keep the character so consistent and non-model throughout all those years. And um, he's definitely, without a doubt, an unsung hero of Firestorm. Very nice. Yeah, I mean, frequently, I think nowadays they tend to, when they want to do new creative teams, they change up the penciler and inker to sort of be like, oh, we're starting fresh. But but back, I think back then there was a little more like, let's try and keep it consistent. And yeah, I think that helps is you have the same inker through pen, through different pencilers. You are, you know, giving the book a little bit more of a consistent visual style. Yeah, a good example of that is one of our favorite books, Rob, Star Wars, Marvel Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Tom Palmer was the inker for a zillion issues yes. on that. And, and he went through several pencilers. Uh, you know, obviously, I think he did some of Walt Simonson's. He did... Um, some Howard Shaken. He did some Howard Shaken. Thank you. Yep. And yeah, I won't get into it. But yeah, but he, he, he was a good example of carrying a house style through yeah. a book. All right. Yeah, I said that. We just wanted to do a little... Show. I said, neither one of us had a whole lot to say on this topic, but we just wanted to give a little bit of attention to guys that we really, really like that just don't get mentioned very much. All right. So, folks, in case you haven't been uh, reading the, the web, it did crack in half last week uh, when they made the announcement that Wonder Woman will, in fact, appear in the Superman-Batman movie, and they have cast her in, in the role. Mr. Kelly, you have some thoughts you wish to share with the, with the, with the group? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, the, the, the actress's name is, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, Gal Jadot, I'm going to assume, is how you say it. Mm-hmm. Um, she is an Israeli actress and model. She won the Miss Israel title in 2004 and went on to represent Israel at the 2004 Miss Universe beauty pageant. Uh, her biggest credit, basically, she appears in the Fast and Furious movies, uh, but she's been in some other stuff. She was in Date Night with Tina Fey and Steve Carell. She was in Night and Day with uh, Tom Cruise and, and uh, Cameron Diaz. Um, yeah, I mean, the, I don't know if you'd say the internet cracked in half because I think the internet cracked in half under Ben Affleck. Uh, <laughs> so I'd say it, like, it cracked partly uh, with this news. Um, I think most of his people respond to the fact that Wonder Woman couldn't be in the movie at all. Like That seems right. to be a shock. Um, the one issue I had with, like, completely separate from the topic of whether Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman should even be in this movie, um, the main complaint that people seem to have over this woman, Gal Jadot, is that she's so skinny. I mean, she's tiny. She's a tiny, she's 5'9", although that's fairly tall for a woman. Um, but she's very, very skinny. And that sort of bothered me a little bit because they're going to send this woman to a trainer. And they're going to beef her up. I mean, that's what they do for these movies. Uh, I mean, when they cast, um, oh God, Chris Pratt as Star-Lord in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, he was this big tub of goo. Uh, on Parks and Rec, and now he's super cut because he's got to be a superhero. So, uh, you know, and if any of you have ever seen the original screen test for Christopher Reeve as Superman, he is this skinny, sweaty little nerd. And then (laughs) they handed him over to David Prowse, who played Darth Vader. They handed him to David Prowse for David Prowse to beef him up. And then, like, six months later, he was Superman. So the physical part of it doesn't bother me at all. Clearly, they're not going to... Uh, keep Miss Jadot the way she is now because she looks like she weighs about 90 pounds. And, you, can, you know, Wonder Woman's not going to be 90 pounds. Well, but- uh, she, one thing that she doesn't get credit enough for is she's stronger than people give her credit for. She is um, a former Marine, Israeli Marine is what I read, I think. Yeah, she I mean, was, she's, yeah she's in the Israeli army. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she, guys, she's not just some runway girl. I mean, she's like legit 
badass. So, I mean, <laughs> she needs a little more credit. Now, I, I see what you're saying about as far as just building muscle masks. I, yeah. get, what, I get what you mean. I mean, there's been 10,000 instances of somebody who was not particularly super cut being cast as a superhero, and then by the time they do the movie, they look like a combo character. And that's, so I don't know why this, you know, I guess it's the internet just going to do these sorts of things. As a separate issue, in terms of Wonder Woman being in this movie, uh, that's a harder call, because to me, I, I've said this before when, when this topic has come up, I feel like DC is, or not DC, Warner Brothers, not DC, I feel like Warner Brothers is trying to just get to the Avengers level without doing all part of the hard work. I mean, Marvel pieced together the Avengers movie, movie by movie. You know, they, the Captain America, Thor, Iron Man, Hulk, and then they put them all together. And to me, this feels like DC, again, I keep saying DC, Warner Brothers doesn't want to do all that. They just want to get to the end part, which is the team movie. So let's put all the characters in one big movie now. I mean, poor Henry Cavill only got to play Superman basically one time before he has to do another movie where he's going to share the screen with now two different superheroes. And if, if, what, if the rumors are true, Brian Cranston is Lex Luthor. Uh, that's, that's a lot of power in one film. And uh, poor Henry Cavill's really going to have to like, fight his way to, to make his mark as Superman. Well, I'll, I'll take an opposite, just for devil's advocate's sake. If you look at it, um, you get a situation with the Avengers. You know, Robert Downey Jr. only did one movie before he... He was suddenly sharing the screen with War Machine, Nick Fury, Black Widow, all those characters. Now, there's a lot that can be said about Iron Man 2 not being that yes, good. Yeah, right. Look how but, well that turned out. <laughs> but that for, you know, if, if DC thinks they're following that same formula, also having Wonder Woman... That, now, what I'm about to voice is not my opinion, so do not attack me, folks. But if Warner Brothers thinks that Wonder Woman can't carry a film, then slipping her in Black Widow style, like... She was done into other films to, to build her popularity and yet not have to invest in a feature film for her, then that's a fairly smart way to go if that, that's their opinion on it. Because they think, obviously, they think Green Lantern can carry a film. <laughs> uh, actually, it, it, actually, Green Lantern can carry yes, a film. He can. That one. Flash can carry a film, they believe. Obviously, Superman and Batman. And, and the big pieces are going to be Cyborg, you know, and, and Wonder Woman. And I, isn't that round out the whole? whole group and it just those six they're working on i haven't heard about cyborg that's new. well for the justice league film oh okay well right okay so i I think it's just the six right i think so yeah so what you do is you work cyborg into a film you work wonder woman into a film and you don't have to worry about them getting their own feature film so if they're worried about wonder woman carrying their own film it's a smart way to go all right again not shag's opinion I, right, and I think you're right. No, I think that is what they feel, and that to me is the part that bothers me the most because um, this area in terms of building a superhero franchise around a female character, this is the one piece of territory that Marvel has left unclaimed that DC could take. Marvel does not have a female superhero anywhere to the same league as Wonder Woman, not even close. And as we know from their announced film slate of the next couple of years, they're not planning on doing anything like that. Black Widow is always going to be, you know, a side character in the other movies. Scarlet Witch is going to be in Avengers 2, but they're not going to give Scarlet Witch her own movie. Um, there's Invisible Girl, Invisible Woman is always going to be part of Fantastic Four. They've been dabbling with She-Hulk, but I don't think they're ever going to do that because they really can't get the Hulk thing to work on its own. So they're not, I doubt they're going to do a spinoff. So they have no female-centric superhero to carry a franchise. I mean, they're going to do Ant-Man, Doctor Strange. You know, they have no plans to do one. This is where Warner Brothers could grab that 
piece of turf from Marvel and do a Wonder Woman movie. I do not believe for one moment that Wonder Woman cannot carry her own film. Next summer, Marvel is building a tentpole franchise around the Guardians of the Galaxy. A talking raccoon and a talking tree are two of the characters in Guardians of the Galaxy. And yet, Warner Brothers thinks Wonder Woman can't support her own film? That is astonishing to me. I mean, Wonder Woman is one of the most globally recognized icons on the planet. And you look at all these other films, film franchises that are female-centric, the Twilight films, the Hunger Games films, marry that with an ass-kicking superheroine like Wonder Woman. And I think if you did it right, I guess that's the tricky part, doing it right. But if you did it right, you would have a mass blockbuster that would, you know, they always talk about in movie terms, uh, you want your film to be popular or, or accessible in all four quadrants, which is, they call it a four quad movie, which is like young people, the, 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 the older people that, you know, the, 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 all these different age groups are trying to hit. And to me, Wonder Woman would hit every one of those age groups, every one of those age and demographics. And if this is an instance where they're dipping their red toed boot into the water and saying, all right, we're going to maybe introduce her in this movie and then give her her own film. Fantastic. But if she's always just going to be a side character, a la Black Widow, that to me would be infinitely disappointing because Wonder Woman could totally support her own movie franchise. Just because, just because they've never really totally been able to figure out what to do with her in the comic books doesn't mean they couldn't make a great movie. Um, so I'm happy that they're going to do Wonder Woman. I think that's going to be interesting because there needs to be a, a decent live-action Wonder Woman. Pretty much no one has any reference for a live-action Wonder Woman past 1978. So uh, they need to update that a bit. So I'm, I'm happy they're going to bring her into this franchise, but I hope that Warner's plans are bigger than just her being a side character, because she deserves better. She absolutely deserves better. All right. I'm going to play devil's advocate again. Again, not voicing Shag's opinion, but you know the, the Warner Brothers fat cat at execs <laughs> recent, recently invested a bunch of money in Wonder Woman. They put together a pilot. They, they tried to do a weekly series. So you got to give them credit for that. That they put the money into doing the pilot. They ordered it. They hired it. They they marketed. They did the costume. Everything. And as far as they were concerned, it didn't work. Right. So that's probably where a lot of their trepidation is coming from. They're probably going, "Oh, well, we just tried that and it didn't work." They, it was no good. We can't do this. She can't stand on her own. Even though a lot of the blame should be laid at the script of the pilot, oh. not <laughs> virtually yes. all the blame should be laid at the sky. And the product and the production. I've quality. seen that pilot. That is not Wonder Woman's fault. <laughs> the the actress is fine. Um, she's a beautiful actress, and I think she she had the ability to do it. I think that the costume was probably okay. Could have used a few tweaks here or there. The production value in the script was the problem yep. with that piece. Absolutely, I've seen it as well, and. It actually wasn't any worse than Birds of Prey, so that lasted what a season. So, but so I, I imagine that they're sitting there going, "No, no, we already put money into this. We can't do it," which is a real shame. You know, you talk about female care. Now there is a long history of female-led films having a harder time getting recognized, and that scares you know from a from a analytical point of view. If you're looking at charts and graphs and dollars. There is a long history that says female-led films don't do as well, and that's unfortunate because there are ones that certainly buck that trend. You know, uh, there's, I, I'm trying to remember the name of a couple of them. There's, there's one, one that was a – oh, jeez. Well, oh, the the Hunger Games right now is vacuuming up money, and that's female-led. Very, 
a good point. Thank you. That's even better than I was, where I was trying to go. That's a perfect example. Uh, there's, a, there, there's a great movie that came out in 1996 called The Long Kiss Goodnight, which was a female action film is the best way to put it, really. Yeah, Gina Female-led Davis. action Gina film. Davis. Yeah. Great movie. And it didn't do that well at the box office. And I was so upset because I just absolutely ate that movie up. Now, I haven't watched it since it came out. It may be very dated. But at the time in 1996, that was a kick-ass female-led action movie. And I, it was things like that that's always kind of resonated with me. It's like, why didn't this work? It should have. So, fat cat executives sitting back. I get, I get why they're nervous. It's a shame. Now, I did read somewhere that Marvel announced they are going to do a female-led superhero movie. I read this a couple months ago, and actually I'm kind of – and there was all kinds of speculation of who it was, and I'm kind of surprised that that hasn't surfaced which film it is yet. Yeah, I haven't heard that at all. The only female-led project that they're doing is the Jessica Jones show for Netflix, but that's, uh, that's, not, a, oh. that's, that's not a movie franchise. I just – I, I, wonder I wonder if that's where that rumor started and that was the end result because we were all speculating um, Captain Marvel, meaning Miss. Marvel, you know, Carol Danvers. They've been flirting things. with that. Yeah, they have been flirting with it. So, I mean, because she's a very superhero superhero, you know? She really is. It just Great, great run of comics. Yes. I mean, I guess just as more of a DC fan than a Marvel fan, it bothers me to see that Marvel obviously feels like that their C-level characters can carry their own films. And DC, again, DC, Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers is saying, I don't know about Wonder Woman. That, to me, just on a fundamental level, that seems screwed up, that we are going to be seeing a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. We're going to be seeing an Ant-Man movie. They're making a Luke Cage and Iron Fist TV shows. And yet Wonder Woman is not going to get a shot at headlining her own film as of now. We don't know. May Again, maybe the plan is to do it. But if they never do a solo Wonder Woman movie, I, that will just really disappoint me. It really, really would. But, you know, hey, all, all good luck to Miss Godot. Is Jadot. Uh, she's got a going to be her and uh, it, it's funny in a lot of ways having Affleck in the movie too is going to take some of the heat off her you know there's going <laughs> to be so much fan geek pressure on Affleck like you know waiting to judge Affleck that you know she might just sort of slip in through the back door unobserved you know might be like oh yeah she was good as one woman but oh Affleck what was that about you know what I mean so you know I gotta say I'm actually kind of pleased with the casting I mean if you look at the young lady's face she's absolutely beautiful I mean, there's no denying that. And she's got sort of an exotic ethnic quality to her, which I think is great because Wonder Woman should have that. I didn't want her to look like some, I don't know, uh, Midwest farm girl, bikini model, Kathy Ireland, you know, whatever. I didn't want her to look a standard American pretty girl. I, I, I'm glad that she's got that sort of what I call exotic look. Yeah, so she I'm, should look like she's from some other part of the world, not Nebraska, because that's not what it's yeah. Like, so. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so, good, good, good luck to Warner Brothers and – you know, and it's funny, all this tea snatching is so academic because I'm going to go see the movie anyway. There's no way I'm not going to go see the movie. So, you know, and most of the people complaining on Facebook about it are going to go see the movie anyway. So what the hell? And, and folks, think about it. Most of the time they cast an unknown in a role, it turns out they end up owning that role anyway. Yeah, Christopher Reed. Yeah, yeah. Mark Hamill. Oh. All right, that's going to do it. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back on the other side, your feedback. Wonder Woman 
the world is ready for you And the wonders you can do Make a hawk and dove Stop a war with love Make a liar tell it true Wonder Woman Get us out from under Wonder Woman Mathematics department. This is the building. Hi, I'm Diana Prince, the administrative assistant. Can I help you? I'm Jan Brady. I'm doing a school project on Euclid, the famous Greek mathematician. Well, perhaps I can help you, Jan. Gosh, that's very nice of you, Miss Prince. I... We interrupt this program to tell you that the Coast Guard reports that a small craft is floundering in heavy seas five miles off the coast. We repeat. Um... Pardon me, Jan. I just thought of something I have to do. But, gee, she said she was going to help me. I guess I might as well go watch Marsha until Miss Prince comes back. I wonder what it was Miss Prince had to do. This is a job for Wonder Woman. All right, folks, we're back from break, and now it's time for... Listener's Feedback! And we've got feedback from just a couple of episodes. You guys are amazing. It's only been two episodes since we did a massive listener feedback, and we've already got, what, uh, 19 pages of feedback <laughs> from y'all? You guys are unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. Now, I want to say before we get started, folks, if you do want to talk about Fire & Water Podcast or Who's Who Podcast on the interwebs, please use the hashtag... Uh, pound FW podcast. It does help each other. It does help the matchheads and the aquanauts and the nuclear subs. It helps everybody find each other and communicate. Also, honestly, helps me find the comments. So, Facebook and Twitter are both taking those. Um, so is Google Plus. Also, I, I just want to throw something out there, Rob. I, yeah, I hope you don't mind, folks. I want to. I want you to do something for me after this episode. Go out to AquamanShrine.net or FirestormFan.com. There you'll find a posting uh, at least as of Monday for this show and go ahead in the comment thread go ahead and pimp yourself because you know we sit here all day long talking about our shows and our sites and things like that but you guys are such an integral part of the show i want you guys to take credit for your works online for example i'll just throw a couple out there professor alan quarterman is doing the quarter bin podcast which is i just started listening to it by the way phenomenal show it's uh, it's only like 15 minutes long and he covers an old comic book in fact, just did an old issue of Micronauts. Great series. So go ahead and go out to our sites. Go to the comments section. Say who you are, that you listen to the show, and where we can find your stuff. If it's a blog, if it's Tim Wallace's, if, it, if it's Tim Wallace's Blue, Blue Beetle blog, if it's uh, Tom Panarese's Taking Flight podcast, which just came back, whatever you're doing, throw it in there, pimp yourself, and then we'll. Re- Read it on an upcoming show. We'll give all of our listeners proper credit because we don't always remember to say where people are from or some stuff we don't even know. So that's true. Hope you, hope you don't mind. 
All right. Uh, we're going to jump right in. Got an email from Derek Crabb. He says, as to Forever Evil, I was hoping Shag might delve more into his thoughts on Flash Rogues versus Firestorm Rogue. I kind of feel like the Firestorm bad guys didn't make a very good showing of being uh, and being in that miniseries was focused on the rogues. Um, the rogues got more of the fan aura love. Uh, and then he said, I'm happy to see more of Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor in Argus Forever Evil miniseries, as Trevor has been non-existent in Wonder Woman's own solo title. So just want to comment on that real quick. I have been reading the Flash Rogues uh, miniseries. Uh, Rogues Rebellion, I think is what it's called. You're absolutely right. The Firestorm villains really did not get a chance to make a very good showing. They were in it for about nine pages and then got their butts whooped. And I think that's primarily because right now, partially because of the way they were introduced and partially because they just don't have a proper home, they're sort of moving like a pack of dogs together. <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're going to see Black Bison, you're going to see Multiplex and you're going to see Typhoon. They kind of go together right now. They don't have a lot of unique identities yet, so it's going to take a while for those characters to really get fleshed out. So, yeah, they, they, they were there more as to show the rogues could hold their own. So. And as far as Steve Trevor and Wonder Woman in the Argus Forever, the Forever Evil Argus miniseries, I had no intention of picking that up. However, I heard Sterling Gates was going to be on it. So even though he wasn't the original writer announced, he's taken over the book. So I went ahead and picked it up and i've read the first two issues and that argus miniseries is pretty darn good actually i'm enjoying it i'm gonna stick with it and you match heads out there killer frost is actually going to be apparently throughout most of the argus miniseries so you need to be picking that up if you're a if you're a fan of killer frost and you enjoyed the sterling uh, gates issue with her you definitely need to pick up the argus title and then finally, P.S., yeah, happy for you with the Paul McGann thing, Shag. Your enthusiasm brought a smile to my face. That's a Doctor Who thing. There's a, there's a few Doctor Who comments throughout here. So thank you for you, Doctor Who supporters. Uh, yeah, I made an appearance on Derek's podcast uh, called the Fan Holes Podcast. I appear on episode 90, which is up uh, going to go up on December 19th. So you can find that on fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. And where we talk about uh, we talk about Aquaman Shrine briefly, but we talked about Ace Kilroy and Hankins comics. And I really enjoyed uh, Derek's role as Flash Gordon in the uh, 1930s movie serial. So good job, Derek. <laughs> we got uh, an email from David Jeffries who wrote to us on our Who's Who podcast, and, and he just used the name The Flash, and I asked him to identify himself. So it turns out The Flash is actually David Jeffries. Uh, we, we were misled all these years. It's not Barry Allen or Wally West, so don't be confused. Anyway, he said Shag has asked people to tell their comic book Origins. I always liked superheroes, but did not start reading comics regularly until I was 17. The, that year, I saw a teaser trailer for Spider-Man. I wondered who was the villain in this movie. I think the only Spider-Man villain I knew at that point was Doc Ock. I learned that it was Green Goblin and then found a website I still frequent to this day called SpiderFan.org. I started on the Goblin profile, then read all the others. After that, I went to the Marvel webpage, and, I had, and they had the first three story arcs of Ultimate Spider-Man you could read for free. I liked them so much, I looked up to my nearest comic book shop and went and bought the next issue. Ultimate Spider-Man became the first book I started picking up regularly, followed closely by The Flash. Now I have thousands of comics and hundreds of trades. By the way, um, this, that he bucks the trend of, people, uh, of the old thought that... Um, Movies don't generate comic book sales. So there, good for him. He says, I've been a fan of Aquaman for years, but I have not read that much Firestorm. I think I have one of it, one issue only because it was a tie-in to Villains United miniseries. Shag's enthusiasm for the characters has been so infectious that I will definitely be buying that trade that collects the first five issues soon. At the same time, I'm going to be ordering Hate Kids Comics. That Yay. book sounds like it's right up my alley and kind of uh, and kind of like some other comic book, comic book 
novel books I've already uh, have called All in Color for a Dime, the comic book book. That sentence was a lot harder to read than I thought it would be. Uh, I also want to get the third volume of the new Firestorm, the new 52 Firestorm book. I also want to get that because a, a scene Shag described where Firestorm zaps a bunny suit around someone. Now that sounds like a really fun comic. He also, also says uh, he wants that to happen in Justice League. Picture this. The legions of apocalypse have momentarily captured our hero. Darkseid comes out and tells them he's going to put their heads on pikes, torture their loved ones, and enslave the whole planet. Then, bam, he's in a chicken suit. That'd be great. I'd love that. Now, so he has a question for me. He says, Shag, you said Professor Stein would disappear from whenever uh, he and Ronnie became Firestorm. So his question is that, was there ever a time that Ronnie saved Professor Stein from a dangerous situation simply by becoming Firestorm? Storm. I thought up a scene where he said that because Ronnie and Jason had to touch to become Firestorm currently, that a villain throws Jason off a cliff and Ronnie has to run and jump and touch Jason and turn into Firestorm just before they hit the ground. That's clever. Um, there's been various times where Ronnie or the Professor helped each other out. I may have not described it clearly enough. The gist of it is whoever initiated the creation of Firestorm, the other person would disappear and appear where that person was. So if Ronnie initiated it, Firestorm would appear where Ronnie was and the Professor would disappear. And vice versa. So in one issue of Firestorm we've covered so far, Professor was actually stuck in jail, and Ronnie was able to rescue Professor by becoming Firestorm, and they're looking around for Professor Stein, and he's gone. So, And he said, uh, now I'm in the middle of listening to all the episodes of Houston Longbox, the best episodes are the ones with Shag. Woohoo! Uh, he wanted to know that I really cracked him up at the beginning of episode 103 where we interviewed Jerry Conwell. Just to let you guys know, uh, Mike and I just cracked a joke where we pretended to be all excited about interviewing Jerry Conway, and we didn't want to screw it up. And then Jerry comes on and goes, guys, you know I'm right here. I can hear everything you're saying. <laughs> and it just it was a fun little gag. So Jerry was a great, Jerry's a great sport. Anyway, where I want to go with this is he says he listened to Rob and Michael Bailey's show here on Fire and Water about All-Star Squadron. Rob talked about how uh, the chase of finding issues was great, but you can go to eBay and buy them all now. And he did just that. He went and bought every single issue of All-Star Squadron and loved them. So there you go. And most important comment of the entire day, I remember the episode, and it was definitely Shag's idea to have a pole on the shrine to name Aquaman's dog. So Aquaman's dog being named Salty is all thanks to Shag. He's right. You're right. I realized that after we got off the air. So it was a team effort, I am, everybody. I am breaking my arm, patting myself on the back. So. <laughs> uh, um, oh, got another origin story from Blue Scream. Okay, here we go. Find your joy time for me. When I was a kid, the first comics I ever bought were Impact Comics, The Fly. This eventually led me to read Mighty Crusaders, The Comet, and that spiraled me out to the nerd I am today. When I found out that Archie had rebooted the Red Circle line a while back, I hurriedly picked through my back issue bins and added a subscription to my stack. It was wonderful. I've gotten a bad case of grim dark itis with the touch of the event fatigue over the last few years and the tone of the feel of the new crusade. And the tone and feel of the new crusade. Why is that so hard okay, to say? Okay, <laughs> New Crusaders has been a breath of fresh air. I know the comic probably aimed is probably aimed at the thirty something market, but I don't care. So he's really enjoying it. That's awesome. Great job finding your joy, buddy. Uh, we got an email from Lucian Dezar, dear Robin Shag. Recently, I've been acquiring Silver Age comics and comics from the early nineteen eighties. Aquaman Volume 1, The Witching Hour, Star Wars Marvel. And I have a confession: I like the art much, much better than anything that has come out recently in the DC New Fifty Two. One, I like the old cheaper paper and the Bende dots printing from the Silver Age. This isn't an annoying shine or gl- there isn't an annoying shine or glare when reading them on modern paper. Two, the art is hand drawn, which isn't always technically perfect, but it gives a better identity to each drawing. You can just tell the illustration by what artist did it. 
three, the advertisement's entertaining. Who knew there were so many different ways kids could make money from selling newspapers or social security plates? Four, older comics are sometimes cheaper to get than modern comics. Am I alone in this thought? Maybe I am nostalgic as I was younger. When I was younger, my older brothers gave me their entire collection from the 1960s. I had so many comics I didn't buy my own until the late 1980s. Please help me. I don't want to be one of those annoying collectors that pine for the old days. Thanks for reading. Fan the Flame of Ride the Wave. Lucian, Sharks in a Bucket, Days Are. Uh, yeah, Lucian, I mean, you know, that's been said before is that, that, you know, the artists that came in comics in the 50s and 60s and 70s, they didn't learn to draw by reading comics. They learned to draw from, from life, you know, from other places. And so the, therefore you had to, you know, kind of at times, not, not across the board, but a sort of higher quality of work because you weren't just sort of learning from comic. If you learn to draw from comic books, your work is never going to go better than comic books. Uh, for the most part, you know. Um, so, yeah, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, a lot of the New 52 trades into the sort of flashy kind of of-the-moment thing. I mean, Rob Liefeld, for God's sakes. Um, so, you know, yeah, that's a, that's a relatively, you know, common complaint, unfortunately. The, the, there, there were just – there was probably more room for different illustrative styles back then because they just weren't so trying to make everything look so uh, homogenous, which is the, unfortunately one of the hallmarks of the New 52. So, yeah, I think that's – that's a fair point. I mean, obviously, there is a lot of really great work out there. Um, and, you know, certainly there's a variety of styles now in sort of indie comics and web comics you wouldn't, that, you know, didn't exist before. So, you know, it is a trade-off here and there. There, there There's – you're probably not going to get people like Neil Adams, or a new Neil Adams anymore appearing in comics, you know. I mean, somebody like Alex Ross showed up and really blew everybody out of the water, and then he himself sort of kind of got away from doing anything at DC and Marvel because he grew dissatisfied with working for them. So, unfortunately, it, it is something that can happen a lot. Absolutely. Um, heard from Boston Mass. Just uh, commented he, he loved the outtakes that Ross put in Moss. at the end of... But I'm sorry, yes, Boston Mass. And uh, he loved the outtakes Rob put in at the end of the episode, so he thanks for that. Heard from John Godwin. Um, he basically wanted to come in and say he's still finding some joy in current stuff. For example, he really loves the Injustice comic, even though it's a tie-in comic. A lot of people have dismissed it for that. He says it holds up, and it's really great. And then he talked about some other tie-in comics that are really good. Star Trek Nero was good, Fury's Big Week, The Citadel. So, you know, he's, he's come out and said there's a lot of great tie-in comics out there, and people shouldn't sell them short. Got an email from my buddy David Guterres. Um, thank you for that. Just to some of the stuff about we've been talking about with Star Trek. And um, he wants to hear the tales of the Q. School. <laughs> uh, you know, in relation to that is something I wanted to mention. Is uh, last weekend I did the um, our first Hey Kids Comics book signing uh, at a bookstore up in North Jersey, and I did it with uh, Ed Cato from uh, Captain Action and Paul Castiglia, who writes a lot of stuff for Archie, does a lot of things for Archie. And I went with my friend, uh, a friend of mine named Corey, and we were all talk talking. We had dinner afterwards, and I was telling some stories about being from the Cubert School and. Corey was telling me that it's like he is amazed when I, he hears these stories from me because I'm talking about Joe Kubert and all these people. And to me, it's like I'm just used to it because that's in my past. But to people that didn't go to the Kubert school, it does sound sort of amazing. <laughs> you know, in some ways I sort of forget. So uh, maybe there will be a little Tales of the Kubert school worked into the show here and there. That might be kind of a fun thing to do. I always envision it as like an 80s sitcom, you know, like, you know, a bunch of college young kids having wacky adventures, and yet you know, their, their main focus is art, and it's just kind of, it, it writes itself, man. No, there's no women around, so it's... <laughs> exactly. 
but you know they're they're very nerdy. And then you know once in a while you put a girl in an episode and they don't know how to talk to themselves. And well, so. we knew how to talk to girls. There just weren't any around. <laughs> sure, you did. I'll t- fine. I have a particular story that I will tell at our Tales of the Cubert segment, which involves a girl. So, fooey on you. Uh, <laughs> uh, we got it. Fine. Go ahead. Yes. Okay. We got an email from Martin Gray across the pond over there. He sent us some. We talked about uh, in a previous um, uh, email that he got. He worked with London Editions magazines, editing UK DC reprints, and he sent us some covers of magazines he worked for. Very nineties, uh, but they, they were they're really fun to look at because uh, they were like anthologies and they have all these different features. So thanks for those, Martin. They were a lot of fun. But let me, I want to read his um, his email. Uh, uh, I'm going to do it in the in the way Martin talks. What a treat to get another episode. I like to think you're doing a feedback special alongside listener comments and regular shows. I enjoyed Chag's thoughts on Forever Evil Number Three. You already have my seen my thoughts on the blog over at DangerMart.blogspot.com. Thanks very much for reading out my origin story, Rob. As Rob sort of asked, I got the job with London Editions Magazines, later Egmont Fleetway, editing UK DC reprints because I was a fan. On applying, Editor-in-Chief Brian M. Clark recognized my name for regular appearances in the letter calls and gave me an interview. How awesome is that? <laughs> you get a job out of sending letters in. Um, anyway, back to Martin. My familiarity with the material was probably more relevant than my journalism background. I spilled a mug of tea over Brian at the interview. Oh, how classic is that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but got the job nonetheless. I'm now back at newspapers. I love it, but I really enjoyed being the guy in italics in the letter calls alongside the main job of compiling the comics and writing articles. I also originated material on the likes of My Little Pony, Sooty, and Polly Pocket. Fun times. I'm chuffed to bits that Rob's knowledge of English as she has spoke is growing by the month. Thanks, Martin. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm just horrified at that terrible, terrible, terrible accent of yours. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's completely accurate. Go back to doing FDR. Um, we heard from our buddy Jack Dower, and he says, Shag has trouble seeing Firestorm with the universe-changing powers square off against street-level characters. What he's referring to is, I talked about how Firestorm now has at his heart the spark that started the entire universe. He has the spark of the Big Bang. And in theory, at least the way Brightest Day set it up, was if he gets too controversial with it, uh, or he gets too uh, sorry, flummoxed and, and angry, between Jason and Ronnie, he could actually detonate and restart the universe. All right, so he says, I uh, has trouble seeing the universe changing power square off against street-level characters, but I think that the fact that the two kids are in charge of these abilities is what makes it possible. Ronnie and Jason are not mature yet and have high emotions um, and have the high emotions of any teen. This sets a great tension point in the story since if they get angry, you won't, just won't dislike them, but they could rewrite the universe. Being kids and having to watch the balance is what makes them vulnerable to Slipknot or Hyena, but the mega power means that they can square off against Darkseid, Ultraman, or Penguin. Wait, scratch that. Shag admitted already nobody beats the Penguin. <laughs> um, says, uh, uh, fan the flame, ride the wave, and will someone please hire Robert uh, Commander Kelly to write that history of the Power Records book already. Seriously. All right, got a message from Count Druncula. This is probably, um, you know what? I'm just going to do it. I'm going to give him the Steam Award for this analogy, which is friggin' hilarious. Whether you agree with it or not, it is a riot. So I hope you don't mind giving the Steam Award to Count Druncula this episode, folks. No comment from Rob, so I'm not sure he agrees. No, it's fine. <laughs> hey, it's fine. All right. It says, I love Shag's comment. I feel like I went away in the DC Universe is messy. The thing is, I don't feel like it, I went anywhere. The mess came in on my watch. 
like a devastating tornado that leveled my hometown. Actually, here it is. It's more like the 80s movie Weird Science. The new 52 came in like a sexy, vaguely British underwear model and quickly ran amok, threatening my parents at gunpoint, turning my brother into a giant frog-like pile of crap, <laughs> inviting a bunch of strangers and bullies to a party I never asked for and trashes my house. And when I seem less than appreciative about having my life hijacked, Lisa, slash DC, decides I'm not being challenged enough and throws me into a a horde of homicidal, slightly monstrous biker freaks to ridicule me personally in front of my peers who have become my host or have become hostages. Well, I guess this is the point where I stand up for myself and say, you can leave in peace or you can stay and die. <laughs> I'm dropping I'm dropping DC until they clean up the mess and get that ballistic missile out of my bedroom. <laughs> oh my gosh. That cracked me up. Yeah, that, so that's much. worthy again, of the Steam Award. That's absolutely worthy of the Steam Award. Yeah, and again, even if you don't agree with your about DC Comics right now, still you gotta gotta give him credit for that. That was a riot. Um, he also agrees with my concern over Firestorm being fueled by the spark of creation. That seems perfectly appropriate if Firestorm was the herald of Galactus, but not for a character who, despite his vast powers, has always felt closer to street level than cosmic. Uh, he also uh, be, uh, backed me up on my comment about that the. Christian Bale, Batman's career is way too short. In fact, he goes further. He says, Rob, I don't even think the Batman in the Nolan movies lasted that long, a year and a half. I think the gap between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight was a couple of months at most, which would make his career as Batman roughly the length of a football season. (laughs) (laughs) We heard from Tim Wallace. He says, I love me some Doctor Who, even straight off topic and did a few posts on my blog. Uh, So that's awesome. Thank you. Love the Doctor Who support from Tim. Um, he says, finding my, find my comic book joy, my comfort food, and that's where I found myself rereading old adventures in trades and back issues. Just bought volume one of The Phantom, the complete series of Charlton years, and reread DC's 1987 Carrie Bates, Gene Colan series, Silver Blade. I think you were the only person that's ever actually read that. I did. I read anyway. it. I read it at the time. Uh, okay. Uh, I just remember the house tads and all the new format books, and it was always like, that looks interesting, and never picked it up. Anyway, <laughs> and discovering new favorites like Firestorm. Got to admit, when I first started listening, I wasn't a big fan. But now, I'm a matchhead and proud of it. And Shag, if you reconsider the DC Classic idea, please tag me in. I'd love to talk about Blue Beetle, Blue Devil, All-Star Squadron. Heck, the list is endless. You guys are killing me. You really are. Because that sounds so much fun. <laughs> to talk about Blue Beetle, Blue Devil, All-Star Squadron, all that stuff. But yeah, I think probably, probably what's best is if we just do a retro episode on Fire and Water Every so often, that's probably the best way to go. Um, that's just we, I, we just we got to get a handle on this in our lives, you know. <laughs> so yep. that's, that's, I think that's, that's where we'll go for now. Or if one of y'all want to launch a show like that, give me a call and I'll guest star from time to time. How's that? I make an exceptional guest star. Ask Michael Bailey. <laughs> You're up, Rob. Okay, I was just contemplating that. You know, I was wondering what. I, never mind. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Siskoid uh, mentions a couple things He says in terms of nice Canada We have the same number of jerks per capita I assure you We're probably nicer to non-Canadians Which is how such rumors start That makes sense Uh, Talking about my reference to uh, There being a Batman Doom Patrol uh, issue Of Brave and Bold Like something I wanted to see He says Brave and Bold 172 But it's the so-called new Doom Patrol So I think Rob's suggestion still stands Do check down number 7 of the TV Time BB series For the classic team That is right Yeah, I did remember that there was the new Doom Patrol But I was thinking of the classic one Um, When I also When I was answering Russell Burbage's question About what Brave and Bold issues Team-ups I wanted to see I can't believe I blanked on two suggestions One, Batman and Hawkgirl I would have killed to mm. see that. And Batman and Mira. I, oh, yeah. I, I can't believe I didn't think of that. Drawn by Jim Aparo, written by Bob, I don't care, Haney. That would have been fan 
fantastic. That would have been such an awesome issue to see Mira as a solo thing with Batman. So those those are my suggestions for Brave and Bold that we never got. I, I just I just thought of one myself. Um, Firestorm. I'm sorry, uh, Batman and Doreen Day. <laughs> okay. That's all I've got on that. All right. Okay. Go. <laughs> All right, he left us a comment over on Firestorm Fan, and th- this cracks me up. Um, first of all, he, he does talk about a little bit of Doctor Who stuff. He he, he just really shows how deep he, he and I both are into the stuff, because he name-checks a bunch of um, random Doctor Who companions that are from books that only he and I and, like, four other people know. But anyway, he does say here, uh, in quotes, this is this is mocking Rob, Dalek is why Fire and Water isn't the place for a Doctor Who discussion. Because Rob it said Dalek? Dalek out of, it's Dalek, yeah. Uh, okay. So, well, at least you didn't say Dalek. That's how most people, most Jeez. people invent an R and put it in there. So anyway. Sorry. <laughs> he wasn't being mean. Don't worry. He's just, you know, pointing out that Doctor Who has its own place. Anyway, uh, cat lovers take note. The Rileys have a cat featured in an extended sequence. Despite the fact that Shag and Rob won't mention it, they obviously have a dog agenda. I love cats. <laughs> I absolutely love cats. I would have a million cats if I could. But, uh, yeah, we just forgot to mention that. In the- um, no, actually, Rob. Let's stop kidding. Seriously. I mean, it's time we're honest with them. This is an anti-cat agenda. We specifically started out the show this way. It's fire and water. You know, dogs and cats, they don't mix. So we have decided this will be a dog-only podcast. So there, I put it out there. All right. Heard from our buddy Ann. Uh, he said, since its inception, the New 52 has been a dark and dreary place. It is as if the entire line is now uh, has to be edgy, grim, and gritty. Now, I give DC, DC some respect. They tried to be very, to be very varied with their reboot. They gave war books, western, sci-fi. They tried. Now, I'm not enjoying Forever Evil or this DCU much right now. Now, don't get me wrong. I like anti-heroes and dark stuff, too. I read Fatal, Conan, Satellite Sam, etc., and I wouldn't mind some DC dark books like Suicide Squad. But I want my heroes to be heroes and applauded for their hero. Heroing. It's that rare non-existence in DCU right now. So now, true. I want. Well, here you go. I'm going to read a contrary opinion because I think we don't hear enough of this, and I want people to write in. If you're enjoying your DC books right now, write in to tell us which ones because the fact is we wouldn't be doing the show if we didn't love DC Comics. So let's try and find what – we're all a little you – know, I'm sorry. Many people are down on current stuff. Let's celebrate what you do like. I'll say I love The Flash. I think Flash is a phenomenal book. So – Put that out there. Um, if you're into a DC book that you're enjoying, put it out there. I want to hear some positive, folks. Here comes Luke Jack and Eddie bringing the positive. I said, personally, I'm enjoying – and by the way, that was not a dig at Ange being negative. I'm, most of us are, are fairly negative. Rob and I have done episodes about being negative. I'm just saying, you know, I feel like it's time to turn a corner. I want to – again, it's finding our joy. Let's talk about stuff that makes us happy. So, all right, Luke Jacanetti says, personally, I'm enjoying myself, sitting here in the sun and loving Forever Evil and enjoying all the DC books that I'm reading. Sorry that you folks are not liking but you're not going to drag me down with the negativity. Maybe I'm a weirdo, but the idea of a team of Lex Luthor, Bizarro, Captain Cold, and Black Mana sounds freaking cool as hell. Flash kicks it hard each and every month. So does Wonder Woman as the book is moving into an intriguing new ground. Phantom Stranger is like a Vertigo book set in the proper DCU. Laura Fleas is a laugh riot each and every issue, and it looks gorgeous. So there you go, Luke. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for being positive. It's really great. Um, Cisco comes in and talks about some books he's enjoying. He says, DC books, I'm still enjoying are dark because that feels... I'm sorry, he's basically talking about the, the dark books that he's reading that he's enjoying are organically that way. So he's saying the books that, I, that are dark because it feels natural to them that I'm enjoying, um, not because as a filter imposed on a lighter character or Animal Man, Swamp Thing, and Wonder Woman is a dark, crazy myth. All-Star Western, Green Arrow, and so on. World's Finest and Vibe are just about the only books I could remotely call light-hearted that I'm reading from DC at the moment. 
Give us those positive comments, folks. Okay, we got a we got a um, email from Earth to Chris, our frequent uh, guest host. He writes, uh, "Wow, the final word from Roy Thomas regarding the Earth to Aquaman, not Aquaman discussion. So it is the final word. And how cool is it that Roy, a founding father of comics fandom, chimed in on the podcast, which in many ways is the most modern version of the fanzines that first pioneered fandom 50 years ago. Never thought of it that way, Chris, but that is absolutely right." Uh, he wrote, Chag, I'm a recent Doctor Who convert. After mm-hmm. years and years of hearing the show, I finally caved and started watching shortly before the season finale in the spring. The whole family is hooked, particularly my son, who even dressed as the 11th Doctor for Halloween this year. The mini-episode with Paul McGann was intriguing, so we watched the TV movie this weekend. We liked it. Looking forward to the day of the Doctor, but hate to see Matt, go, hate to see Matt Smith go, Chris. Tell you what, Chris, I'm bringing my Doctor Who action figures. You bring the Play-Doh, and we're having a Play-Doh. That's going to be <laughs> Uh, we got a comment from Little Russell Burbage from Ivy Town, Connecticut. He said, uh, regarding the uh, form letters that featured the uh, little generic uh, stock art poses of different superior DC heroes, he said, I had one of those form letters from DC with the heroes standing on each other's shoulders, and then the top guy was holding a DC bullet. I got Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Robin, Aquaman, and Captain Marvel drawn by Dick Giordano. This would have been circa 1980. I think I kept it because I thought it was so cool, but I'm not sure where it is now. I don't think I ever saw one with Aquaman on it. So, Russell, if you find that, send it into the shrine. I, I, the, the ones I've seen don't have Aquaman, so I, I'd like to see that. There's a good reason for that. But I'm bumped. You know... Uh, just okay. Uh, we got an email from Benton Gray. Uh, he mentions in regards to the late and truly lamented Sub Diego run of Aquaman. I don't mean to disparage the sort of Atlanta series, even though I sing the praises of the previous book. While I was quite unhappy with Volume Four's cancellation, that does not invalidate the sort of Atlantis run that came afterwards. It's a truly, it's a true shame that the destruction of the one was necessary for the creation of the other, much like Ray Palmer and Ryan Choi. And while that did engender a good deal of resentment in my heart at first, much like the the aforementioned shrinking superhero switch up, I eventually grew to love that which that which replaced the original. The Sword of Atlantis was a really good book, but I would have greatly preferred that the Sub Diego run had been able to finish on its own terms before Busiak, one of my favorite writers, explored his take on Aquaman. I love a lot of the elements he brought out, though. I really enjoyed the idea of a barbaric, savage underwater world, though the main hero was admittedly a very poor replacement for Aquaman. The setting and the ideas proved far grander than the execution, methinks. In fact, while I really love the ideas that Busiak broached, I think that Ted Williams' run at the end of the series was in many ways even better. It's a shame they didn't allow him to bring Arthur back. That is true. I just have to say, I, I, oddly enough, um, Ben, I'm in the exact opposite position. I actually prefer the uh, Kurt Busiak stuff to the Tad Williams. So the Tad Williams stuff, I have a real hard time with. So. But you made a lot of great points about the series, though, so that's yep. fair. Or from our buddy Kyle Benning, he said, Free of Firestorm number five is a great one and one of my all-time favorites of the series. I feel like I say that after each of these classic issues is reviewed, but they're all so good. I love how they tied the Pied Piper to the pan pipes from classic Greek mythology. And I dig how they continue to tie in the Riley family as we get closer and closer to Lorraine becoming a Firehawk. Whoops, sorry for the 30 years in the making spoiler, but you already covered it in Who's Who anyway. <laughs> Speaking of the Firestorm and Lorraine dynamic, definitely strange since Firestorm is two people. I can't help but hear the phrase, I just like to watch. When I think when I think about Stein's role in all of this, so uh, he says it's a fun issue with some gorgeous project artwork. I can't say enough about these series. How has this series not been collected yet? Yeah, totally absolutely. agree. Totally agree. 
Uh, we got an email from Mark F. Grave. He says, having a long-time listener, this is the only second time I've gotten in touch. Your show with Raging Bullet, your show along with Raging Bullets gave me the bug to do my own podcast with my friend Jeremy Eloy. I do a podcast called The Society of Leagues. In this podcast, we cover all things Justice League and Justice Society, past, present, and future. It would be a massive honor and huge favor if you could do a shout-out for us on your show. Well, there you go. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> we're not, no, we're not doing that more. <laughs> Her from our buddy Diablo Frank, um, and I just have to say, this bastard led me on a merry chase, because I don't know if you guys know, I'm the one who compiles the, the feedback for this for the show. He led me on a merry chase all over the freaking internet, basically. In honor of Doctor Who's 50th anniversary, he decided to post his comments in completely arbitrary uh, chronological order. They're all over the place. There's crap posted on shows from a couple months ago. Go. I, for a while, I couldn't even find bullet points one through eleven. I just gave up. Then I find out he, he left me an Osterhagen key uh, that I didn't even realize was there. He'd buried it. We'll see if anybody gets my reference to an Osterhagen key. By the way, I have no idea what you're doing. Anyway, and <laughs> he left me this to, to, I, to guide me through his. I found that, but unfortunately, I found that like when I was just about done. So uh, anyway, he, he just wrote my comments on the last three episodes are a big ball of wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff. And Count Dracula came back with, I got my nephew a wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey ball for Christmas. And uh, he, he called it a commentary adventure in blog and time. A lot of Doctor Who stuff in that, those bits there. So, Thank you, Frank. He chastised me for saying I lie like a rug when I said that the Aquaman annual was not a JLA ape tie-in, when of course it was. I wasn't lying. I was. I just literally forgot that that was just the case. And I hate looking things up on the show, making everybody listen as we go around and click. So, yeah, I just screwed that up. I completely forgot. I'm sure I just blanked it out, uh, you know, mentally. Uh, <laughs> he also has a comment on the Nolan movies. He says, uh, also, the Batman Nolan movies, they're not that good. It's kind of embarrassing to watch the old Superman and Batman flicks. The Dark Knight trilogy will join them in that. Or, as Bane would say, Regarding their move to California, DC Comics has been admitted to hospice care. The consolidation to the West Coast is an admission that the days of the publishing growing are numbered, so they're centralizing their IP management for multimedia exploitation. He could act... I... I hope he's wrong. I don't think he is. <laughs> um, we got a – him and uh, Frank and Luke went back and forth on Firestorm Fan, a bunch of bunch of different topics. And there was one other thing – one thing particularly I wanted to mention from Luke Giaconetti where he said, I half agree with Rob. Let's stop screwing with Aquaman and Mira. They've been messed with, har- messed with hard since the 70s, and their current popularity can be partially attributed to their finally being allowed firm footing and contentment. However, let's surround these two with characters you can screw with. Reintroduce Garth, then rip his jaw off. That'll keep yeah. up, that'll keep up interest that any great loss to long-time readers. Let's kill some more others, but rein in their page count. Let's not forget whose name is on this book. Just, just for clarification, sorry, that's probably my fault for some of the formatting. That's actually uh, Frank. Oh, that's from that. Frank. I'm sorry. Yes, you're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. It's, I should have known by the rip the jaw off that that would be from right. <laughs> Plus, he also took me to task for inserting the uh, Star Wars anti-smoking PSA. There was no reason for it. I just liked it, and I put it in. <laughs> that was it. Um, 
he compared, he, and he also refer, references the fact we talk about uh, we each had individual uh, when we were children. Frank had a little bit less money than I did to spend, and he puts my inflation calculator has Rob Money Kelly's two dollars <laughs> in nineteen eighty at five sixty seven today. I got a dollar fifty five years ago to dig out peg warming superpowers from the bargain bin. Hence my Martian Manhunter action figure, blue light les miserables. No wonder Richie Richie Rob's favorite hero is royalty. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> it was almost worth digging through 19 different blogs to find that comment. <laughs> uh, he he kept going, and he followed up with a different thing. And regarding to the uh, Wonder Woman casting news, obviously this came. This is a more recent comment. Well, we've got a hot Israeli model cast as Wonder Woman for the big budget quasi sequel. Man, I wish Superman was interesting enough to carry his own damn picture. Karen Catching Fire is a really good movie with an Academy Award nominated actress. Not nominated, winning. She won an Academy Award. Talk about Jennifer Lawrence. An Academy Award winning actress lead that's made $580 million in 12 days to manage deals $662 million across 14 weeks. But let's squeeze an unknown into third lead at best, a minor love interest at worst for the amazing Amazon's feature debut. And let's have critics tell us we're lucky to get that. Hope that Aquaman feature works out, dude. <laughs> uh. Uh, on the subject of Firestorm, borrowing Pied Piper, I must say that be, um, that because of my generation, the Trickster will always be a Blue Devil villain first and the third-tier Flash Rogue at distance second. No one else claims Bolt, though. Hands off. Um, I have to say I, I agree. To me, Trickster is a Blue Devil uh, minor character, not a Flash character, which is kind of funny. Now, he says for a swipe file, I used to call the t- recall the term photomorph. And that's the term I was looking for when Rob and I had a discussion recently. That's the term I was used to is photomorph. So thank you for that, Frank. Also, this is an interesting thing. Uh, Matchheads, think think this through. It occurred to me while listening to this podcast how much healthier both characters would have been if in 1987 Carrie Bates had joined a returning Pat Broderick on Firestorm. Well, John Ostringer and Joe Brozowski and Tom Mandrake crafted the post-crisis Captain Adam revival. So that's a flip of creative teams. If you had the Captain Adam team going to Firestorm and Firestorm team going to Captain Adam, he said, after Legends, Ronnie could have gotten conned into becoming a government stooge and struggled to get out of acting as a spy in the JLI while starting a love-hate relationship with Plastique. Meanwhile, Captain Adam would have been the nuclear fire elemental, Dr. Manhattan wannabe, with the heavy, late Cold War elements as Austin just spent three years playing a poor man's Alan Moore. Am I wrong? Uh, If not, am I wrong? I'm sorry, if... I'm not wrong, am I? Is what he said. Okay. Um, I don't agree with... Uh, Ostrander as a poor man's Alan Moore, but I will say that would have been very interesting. Captain Adam as the elemental sort of just innately makes a little more sense. Firestorm as a government stooge kind of makes a little, you know, getting sucked into that. That would have been a really interesting sort of, uh, um, you know, what if line to read. I would have dug that. So, all right. Um, I promised in, during the last feedback episode that I didn't get a chance to create the massive list of thank yous to people for the last several episodes for Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, all that. So we are going to do it right now. So hold on to your hats, folks. Here we go. Uh, thank you over on Twitter. Aaron Jedi Knight, Alan Middleton, Alex, Alexander Adrock, All New Sucks, Amish Baby Machine, Andy Kapulish, Ange, Anthony Durso, Aquaman Talk, Bat Blog, Bat Pod podcast benjamin rogers bill bailey bill bear boston metaphysical bottle city kanga buck rowlett caffeinated joe cory cory hodgden count Junkula, daniel slagle david gala 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 hmm. david Gutierrez, diablo frank dials k Savayon, dustin stouffer El Perrin, Eduardo escobar el disturbo Flodo spam Geraldo borges girls gone geek 
Gregory Arujo, Hector Negrete, Ivan Osruiz, I can't say that word, <laughs> Jamal, <laughs> James Geerton, James Pixon, Jamie and McNeil, Jeff Viad, Jimmy McGlinchey, Joe Slab, <laughs> Carl Browzades, Keechy Baker, Keith Samra, Cord Industries, which is Tim Wallace, Kyle Benning, Leo Cohen, Lucia Desar, Luke Dobb, Luke Giaconetti, Macy Trudy, Manja Denjal, Martin Gray, Matt Crowder, Maurice S. Kane Jr., Max Romero, Michael Bailey, Michael J. Petty, Michelle Fief, Mike Beese, Muhammad Zaquin, Nate Winchester, Olivia Nastri, Oscar Olalede, Paul Bowler, Randy Caldwell, Red Lantern, Rod Pruitt, Sawyer, Sean McLaughlin, Siskoid, Sidney Dupree, Tom Zoller, Tom McAuliffe, Tom Panarese, uh, by the way, Taking Flight, the podcast is back, go and listen to it, Tommy J. Baum, Tony D., Wasteoid Hoth, Weber Has Issues, Welcome to Level 7, Yen and Leonard Schmidt. Mass, again, that's several episodes worth, but thank you so much to you folks. Um, Go ahead, Rob. We got a tweet from uh, Jeff Viod at Jeff V5, and he wrote, listening to my first Fire and Water podcast and loving it, especially the Super Friends safety tips. Hashtag vintage. Thank you, Jeff. I love having them in the show as well. Uh, We also got something from Anthony. Heard from it. Oh. No, you go ahead. Okay. We got something with Anthony Durso, a.k.a. The Toy Room. Idea for future FMW podcast. If DC didn't exist, what would the Marvel version of your show be? At Firestorm Fan, uh, Blinded Me with Science featuring uh, – well, this is what, is what Chag wrote. I, this, yeah, I'll, I'll, I wrote this. I wrote Blinding, Blinded Me with Science featuring Daredevil and Reed Richards. And I said, well, at least Daredevil would be my choice. And then he responded – Anthony responded, good choice. Old Hornhead was a 70s favorite of mine, pre-Miller. I wonder what Aquaman Tron would pick for his hero. I thought about this. I literally cannot think of who I would do. I, I, I – Anthony, I promise I really gave this some thought and I could not think of a name. Because my favorite wouldn't, Mark- be Luke, wouldn't be Luke Cage or something? No. Not – no. No. I mean I like them. There's a lot of Marvel characters I like. Like. But uh, not anyone I love. My favorite Marvel comic was Star Wars. So <laughs> it probably would be a Star Wars podcast or something. Star Wars and Daredevil podcast. Yeah, there you go. Who, who wouldn't want to hear that? Um, by the way, uh, J. David Weeder just started a Daredevil podcast, by the way. Yes, so I know that. that I'm listening to it. Yes, very good. Oh, cool. All right. Um, I just want to mention one here from Tom Zoller. This cracked me up. He posted a picture from a con. He said, I think I just ran into Firestorm fan's kid, uh, son. And it's a picture of this little tiny kid as Dr. Fate. And he was absolutely adorable. And I wrote, that's my boy, Lil Naboo. I'm so proud of him. A chip off the old helmet. Tom wrote back, if I remember right, that story doesn't end well for Kent's father. <laughs> if you know your Dr. Fate history, that's really funny. And if you don't, I'm wasting your time. So I'll tell you what, I will read Facebook if you read Google+. Plus. Sure. All right, here, here we go. Uh, again, several uh, episodes worth of props from you folks, so thank you so much to Aaron Head Moss, Abel, Abel Padilla, Albert Miranda, Andy Capellish, Arthur Canning, Ashton Burge, Ben Avery, Bill Bailey, Bill McCree, Butch Ro- Rosenbaum, Captain Co- Carrots Burrow, Carlos Guimarez, Carlos Mucha, Chad Argabright, Chris Hayes, Christopher J. Warden, Daniel Cynical Adams, David Pascarella, DC in the 80s, Elan Mimone, Gene Hendricks, Guillaume Paolo Bertelli, Giannarco Curla, Giancarlo. You know what? If you guys could just make up <laughs> simple to say names, Adam Smith. <laughs> just create a new Facebook account as Adam Smith, please, and we'll go from there. Anyway, Giancarlo Nurco, Hector Negrete, Jason Jones, Jeffrey Brown. Joel Riviera, Riviera, uh, John Godwin, Jonathan Schilling, Carl 
I still can't say this, Browsides, he's a big supporter of the show, I wish I knew how to say his name, Browsides, Keechee Baker, Kevin Culp, Kevin Hansen, Kyle Benning, Little Russell Burbage from Ivy Town, Connecticut, Lissandra Morell, Lauren John Skinnis, Skinnis, Luke Dobb, Marcos Aradn, Aran, man, Aranetta, I don't know, uh, Michael Bailey, Miguel Angel, Galliana Ramirez, Michael Gillis, Oscar Aludera, Peter G. G.R. Oscio, Professor Alan Middleton, Ray McCarthy, who, by the way, was the inker on the recent Firestorm run, Robert Gross, Rod Pruitt, Roger Preeb, Roy Galloway, Ryan Withers, Sam Cameron, Sammy J. Maynard the third, second, Sean Corey, Sean McCready, The Hammer Strikes, Tim Wallace, William Alvarez, and William Boyd. And uh, uh, Sean Brock put a nice comment out there that said, still, without a question, the best Aquaman and Firestorm podcast out there. That's everybody's <laughs> favorite go-to backhanded uh, compliment. <laughs> And then Rod Pruitt, Rod Pruitt posted some um, snapshot of some Superboy comics. He said, hey, Shag, even my seven-year-old has found his joy in the 50-cent boxes. Awesome, Rod. Nice. Awesome. Over on Google+, Plus, we got love from Alejandro Reynoso, Andy Capellish, Black Canary fan, comic book and movie reviews, Dale Russell, Gene Hendricks, Jeffrey Brown, a.k.a. Suji uh, Tunes, Carl Brusides, Kichi Baker, Kevin Culp, La Cueva del Nerd, Luke Giaconetti, Mario Zuniga, Patrick Moe, Paul Bowler, Robert Finley, Siskoid, Testello Hamlar, The Hammerstrikes, Todd Wagoner, Tom Tyson. Gene Hendricks left a comment over there. He said, you mean the arguments on Fire and Water aren't real? I'm so disillusioned. Yeah, but it still means you were faking it. It's when Harry met Sally all over again. (laughs) Uh, Going to wrap this up with Instagram and Tumblr here, folks. Heard on Instagram from John Olson, Captain Morgan, uh, Calum Nauer, DC Dill, Justin Williams, Ryan, Diego Oeda, King Ken Wisniewski, Cody from Comic Binding, Don and Ron Williams, Bradley Null, Bradley Null Mina, Mandra Cowled, Seth Tra- Traveline, by the fans of DC Comics and also a similar account from Marvel, Lucas Zork, Tom Kichi Baker, Keith Samra, Joe Mello, Jose, Trade Comics, Buck Rowlett, Plastic Cell, Jason from Dr. Nevermore, Charlie, Ke- uh, Killer Frost, Bradley Null, Luke Dom, Lee Jeffrey, Papa Sideburn, I love that. Uh, Deluxe Expo, Brett B., Click On Comics, Joseph the Heavy, Omar C. Da Cuna Lopez, Brandon Leonard, Jeremy, Ken Deemer, Randy Caldwell, Superhero Week, Two Water Bottles, and Angry Hero Sean. Finally, on Tumblr, thanks to Alan Ratana, Almost Gotham, Blue Lantern of 2814, DC in the 80s, Edge 776, Fred Andrea, Hector Negrete, Mmm, Quay. Jay Babos, Jay Not, Jay Naughty Not Nice, Jeffrey Brown, Carl Brusades again, who goes by Paxstrom, Keith Samra, Luke J, Luke Dobb, um, Miss Politically Correct, Osborne Pumpkin Bombs, Ryan Daily Comics, Seabass two one two zero one three, Show Me Your Bits, The Savage Mars, Tyrant of Tooth, Zeb Oswald, and Zegas. And then just before we uh, started recording, uh, Robert Gross, our fan Robert Gross, uh, a.k.a. Martin Stein's Brain, left a comment on my Facebook page. He said, a lot of music theorying entails a lot of tedious work, like scanning scores so I can use musical examples in my papers. I couldn't get through this tedium if it weren't for a certain weekly podcast by Shag and Rob Kelly. Aw, that's very kind of you. Thank you very much, Robert. We appreciate it. Well, I'm exhausted. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I think we're going to let this take us on out, folks. Absolutely. Folks. Rob, tell them where to, get, where to email us and, and where to find the Tumblr. Fire and Water, podcast.tumblr.com and firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. All right, folks. And remember, leave us a comment on Firestorm Fan or Aquaman Shrine on this episode. This is episode 72. Two. 
72 of the show. Go out there and leave your comments and tell us, uh, pimp yourself. Tell us, you know, tell us about your blogs, tell us about your Tumblr, tell us about your, you know, your, your podcast, whatever you got, and we will read them on the show, uh, in an upcoming episode. You can find Rob over at AquamanShrine.net. You can find him on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. You can find me at FirestormFan.com. You can find me also on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Plus, Instagram, and your mom. Now, all of oh. those things, I'm just kidding, under the same handle. And <laughs> until next time, folks, fan the flame and ride the wave! Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman. Super friends forever. Yeah. Quit screwing around. This isn't funny. You stupid bitch. Oh, now careful, Chet. Don't make me angry. Sorry. That's better. Would you please turn me back to normal, please? I haven't done anything to you. No, but you've done plenty to your brother. Like what? Well, let me see. Uh, you've nagged him, huh? harassed him, me? suppressed him, <laughs> kept him in fear Come of you, on. extorted money from him. It's done out of love. 